0: So Cam Cam Newton, NFL football player, quarterback, you know, for for the Cal, uh um, Carolina Panthers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he he came back for this past year. Um you know, he's super braggadocious and everything, but really didn't live up to uh the hype this year, but he's a, still a phenomenal player. Um but anyway, here I I got to find this clip for you cuz <laughs> This this whole thing is like 18 minutes, but this is the
1: So he just said something considered sexist.
0: Wait, just you just wait. You just wait. Oh. You have you 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 have to hear this. Uh right, let me see, I'm sure to start sharing this now. Testing on all kinds of new technology while we do this. Alright. Oh, let's see if we can do it this way. There we go. Ball in.
2: Check this out the game podcast, a Barstool sports production with his views on gender.
3: Here's Cam. I had a, a perfect, a perfect example of what a man was. In my life By my father Mm -hmm. My parents have been together For 36 37 years now And it's And it's a beautiful thing Mm -hmm. Uh, I grew up in a Three parent household My mom My father And my grandmother Okay And uh I knew what A woman was Not a bad bitch Mm -hmm. Okay What's the difference A woman Okay A bad bitch is A person who's just You know Girl I'm a bad bitch You know I'm doing this I'm doing that I, I I I looked apart, but I don't act apart. Okay. You know, and it's a lot of women who are bad, and I say is a, in a way not to degrade a woman, but just to 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 go off the aesthetic of what they deem is a boss chick. Mm-hmm. Now a woman for me is handling your own, but knowing how to cater to a man's needs. No, a little this, skip in there. This, 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 this. Like I'm a diss, I'm a dad. No, baby. Like, but you can't cook. Okay. You don't what? know. You don't know when to be quiet. You, you don't know what? how to allow a man to leave.
2: You know, when I saw the tweet with <laughs> some of the quotes, and I started listening to it, uh, I was expecting something that went completely off the rails and stayed off the rails. So initially I was like, well, I mean this isn't great but uh, Cam. And then it oh, came in the last 15 seconds, it's like Archie Bunker sitting in his in his uh, favorite chair telling Edith to go get him a beer. I I just and look, look, let me just say this right out of the gates. We're not trying to cancel Cam Newton. This isn't cancel culture. This is somebody saying something that causes others to say... Oh, stop being a wuss and just say what you want to
0: say. Come on. Why
2: is he saying it? Why does he think this way? These are views that were outdated in the early 70s for crying out loud, and it conjures memories of his press conference.
0: I'm sorry, well, you want to say something, Jason? Did you want to say something?
2: (laughs) Well, so when I first
1: clicked on and you were listening, he was saying like, look, there is no... There is no standard. A guy can be whatever kind of guy he wants. A girl can be whatever
4: kind of girl he wants. Except apparently, Cam Newton being be
0: be this way. This kind, yeah, where was that? It was this guy. Here, here it goes right here.
4: To a degree, some of the things he said. It it lacks, you know, the touch of evolution and things that have been brought to our attention here as men the last 30 40 years and 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 of course uh, you know all of those things going in it hey i'm a guy right i have a traditional marriage my wife does cook and do all of that stuff right she cooks she's amazing that way she's a real you know housewife and does all those things And also, How dare you know? You. I mean, what? I mean, keep quiet. She's the boss of the house. She tells me what to do. She's got a great, you know, social life and things she does, you know, as far as you know, hobbies and all of those type of things. And you know, you it's think, just it's you think they hey, purposefully misunderstanding Cam Newton?
0: Yes, but they're, they're, yeah, because they're, because,
1: because, they're per, because they have to come in and defend their left leaningness or
0: uh no. No, they are purposely misunderstanding Cam Newton because they don't want that red dot that's on the center part of their head to become a hole. That's why they're purposely misunderstood. Okay, you know, so they are getting ahead of the cancel. That's why he's so spending so much time on the cancel culture in the beginning. Jason, this is a sports talk show. Why are they talking about metaphysics?
1: (laughs) They're, They're. because that's, I think the, I think the thing that insulted them is when Cam said, "woman," right? <laughs> he said, "woman," right? Not, like, a, a woman is a particular kind of creature. That's what I think. That's what they, yeah. Because, because he says, "look, I have exactly all the things that he is talking about, and I love it." But I wouldn't go around calling mm. a woman.
0: Well, the, the, I think the part that, so everybody's, right now, this clip is kind of blowing up and it's like, Cam Newton. Is it? Okay. Yeah, so I didn't, I hadn't heard the clip. I saw the drama around it because, uh, the thing that was said was like, Cam Newton's sexist comments makes news and Cam Newton is a sexist and the right. sexism in Cam Newton's comments. But part of the, the thing that, so these guys, I don't know who they are. This is my first time seeing it. I was just there to see the clip, but listen to him talk. It was really interesting because, um, there was a form of fear that was driving everything that they were saying,
1: oh, yeah, you could see it. They're like, "Look, we're not interested in getting flack th- that he's getting. We right. don't want
0: any. My wife that. is exactly a, the kind of person I mean, that Cam Newton described
1: <laughs> right, but, but don't, <laughs> but don't come after me, but no but he let saying. her have hobbies right. <laughs> But the thing that's crazy is Cam Newton. He's talking about how much he appreciates his mom
0: and he's making a differentiation between his grandma and his mom and the type of woman he wants to marry. And the girls that consider themselves bad bitches. Right. That's how that's who he's talking about. And I know exactly kind of, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same kind of woman that Proverbs says, don't be involved with.
1: Right. And as a football player, he's got to have his guard up, right? Because he makes a lot of money. He's like, so he's saying, I had my my mom and my grandma taught me how to avoid marrying a woman that's just after my money and the power and the glory.
0: And doesn't have the qualities that my mom had, who knows how to cook, knows when to speak, knows when not to speak, right? That's the part that really got everybody upset is like, wait a second, are you talking about um a woman needs to know how to cook and then needs to know when not to speak? And because there is so <clears throat> there is a glorification right now of of a especially in particular culture. I would say the prominent pop culture of like a Kardashian. Right. Yeah. Which is she's beautiful. She's got all her own money. She's in control. She's in power. Basically, she's a man. Right. Like that's the she functions and operates in every way that a man operates. But she's a woman. And Cam is trying to say, wait, hold on now. There is a position that is a man's position. There's a woman that's and I'm not saying that he's verbalizing it perfectly. Right. Like me and me and Cam would have problems on how we want to define what a woman is. But this from the general form, general revelation, the natural things that he's seen, the blessings that God has given him and his grandma and his mom. And he's just revealing that. And he's like, I don't even see that. Like, I that's not a that's not a woman who's acting right. like this.
1: It, he says, I want to marry somebody like my mom, and people freak out. <laughs> and 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 like every you're acting like that's an insult right. to women,
0: right? But here's the thing, though. Is that if you listen to these guys, like here, I got I, I want to play a little bit more of this because this is yeah. what's crazy about. I'm sorry, I'm just sidetracking our whole conversation today. But what's crazy <laughs> about this, though, Jason, to me, is the fact that you can't even say what Cam said right now.
4: Everybody's got their own what they like out of their girlfriend, their woman, their significant wow. other. But that crossed the line of like, whoa, we're we're going back in time here. And this doesn't even make sense. Somebody <laughs> that, made a great. That's that's crazy, right? Everyone can have whatever they want, except for you can't
1: have, except for Cam Newton said the two white guys,
0: right? Oh, guy, he- <laughs> don't you even go there right now. <laughs> Don't you? Well, and here's here's where intersectionality matters. These guys are allies for a particular type of intersectionality. Women, right? Yeah, that's a, double minorities, right? And they're allies. They're being allies right now. They're not even thinking,
1: right? They're not. They're. They're. But but here's so this, this is what's interesting. So I I know people will often ask me, right? Start, start talking about. Um, the the beauty and the glory of homemaking, right? Something like that, or, or the um, the fact that you've got different spheres. In, a family inter- react- lives in multiple spheres at once, and um, you, you've got uh, s- say you've got your wife at home and she is really good at that sphere, the home right. sphere, right? And you go out to work. And you come home and you know you um, and you know that you need to you know make enough money that she can do her glorification of the home sphere well right and so you're trying to provide what she needs and and uh, um, people will say oh so does the the Bible say women can't work is that what you're saying women can't have a job right you say look here's the thing you're trying to turn a positive Description of beauty into a rule, right? You're saying, well, what's the rule? Tell me the rule, right? Legalism. Legalism, straight up. Paul Paul doesn't ever say, Paul doesn't even ask the question, is it okay for a woman to have a job or not, right? That's not, Paul says, you want to know what will shut the mouth of blasphemers? A woman who is good at, uh, who's good at, who is hospitable whose children love the lord uh, and and the, the a home that's functioning really well will shut the mouth of blasphemers right that's what he says in timothy and we and we've tried to turn it into a rule he's talking about the beauty of of working with our natures or in line with with nature right it, he's talking about the argument that the truth living according to the truth is actually beautiful. And the beauty is the argument Mm. and we're trying and we try and turn it into a rule. Can I, can't I, right? Um, Is, is a woman allowed to have a job is actually revealing more about the person asking the question than it does about the Bible, right? That, that we're thinking in terms of legalism and law and it's just that question even there, right? Every situation is different. Sometimes a woman's going to have a job outside the home. Sometimes she's not. That's not that's not ever the the question when it comes to what Paul's talking about. Right. Paul's just saying it's so beautiful. A well-functioning home is so beautiful. And a woman that is really good at the things that she does at home and um, is so beautiful that blasphemers, their tongues dry up in the face of the beauty.
0: Sorry to, can, I to continue with more babble because I just I just have to torture us right now. Um, sorry to do this to you, but I, I just I just here, I want to make a point. Hold on, here's my quote point. yesterday, and okay. I
2: can't recall who it is. I give them credit, but basically the gist of it was. It's on Cam Newton's father for raising him the way that he did to think that this is normal. But at some point, it's on Cam for not looking around and realizing it's not normal. This isn't acceptable. These aren't views you should be advocating that women should know how to cook and they should know when to be quiet and when to let a man lead. That is not the world we currently live in. Men lead, women lead. Relationships come in all various Forms and shapes and sizes, yeah. and Men cook. No good. Women cook. there right. is no bad. Right. Men lead, women lead. Men are, women are qu- <laughs> Men are quiet, women are quiet.
0: Men are quiet, women are
2: quiet. It's driven by personality, not exactly. by what you're expected to be. If you choose to be quiet, that's your prerogative. If right. you choose to speak, that's your prerogative. No one's expecting you to be quiet because you're female. That feeds into, and this came out in the letter, that was sent by the attorneys general. And it came out in the report from the New York Times. This is a sports show. This is a sports. This is where sports have gone now. The idea that women who are in a business setting. Who are assertive. It gets frowned upon. Yeah. Man Man what? decides he's going to be typing. What
0: show typist. is this? I, <clears throat> I don't, what show is this? Pro Football Talk nbc Sports. this is pro football talk nbc sports that's what it is
1: no wonder the nfl is losing all their viewership this is they're trying to i mean that
0: that's this is that's that's
1: weird that's weird that they're having that conversation on an nfl sports show
0: but is it though I mean, mean, so, you know, what he just got done doing was people have. There's so many things I want to say. Let me try and get through the first thought on this first. Okay. We're not even talking about this, but I think it leads perfectly into our conversation. (laughs) I'm going to let you figure out how to spin it. But here's here's, here's one thing I thought about immediately. Um, He has. So they're supposed to be talking about sports. And somehow the idea of Cam Newton's comments have become news for how this plays in the infield. I have no idea. But <clears throat> it is now absolutely not allowed to talk about men and women in any form of old school traditional roles. Right. It is outlawed now. They, they are absolutely shocked and flabbergasted that Cam Newton would even think like this. And they even said at one point in this 18 minute talk, oh, he, you know, it's one thing if he said, well, these are my ideas or this is what I said privately or they say it in your home. But to be in public and to say this out loud, to even, I don't think Christians understand kind of what's happening right now. I, I wish we could shake each of, each other awake and say, you are hated by the world in a way that You haven't been hated by the world in generations in America. This is the first time in American history that I think we can say the traditional structure of the family, manhood and womanhood, man and woman and children are a new cat are now an unprotected class in American society. And we have never seen that before. Right. That is the. That's What's So it's not even. We, there's so many Christian things that we can talk about. This. There's so many worldview things and metaphysical things, but the topic is now outlawed for a man to give a woman a list of categories that define what fits best with her nature. Now we can argue about where those things. Oh, well, maybe not this one. We were talking about that last week with um, oh, who was the Arthur? Uh, we uh, Dorothy uh, Sayers.
1: With, uh- Dorothy Sayers, yeah.
0: Yeah, like, we can can talk about that, but no, there's no, they've just made women men. There's absolutely no difference. They're not even talking about their humanity and their nature of what they could, uh, you know, of the ontology. They're talking about their economic realities.
1: Yeah, but this is where, the because the world does actually function a certain way, to go against it is to destroy yourself. Right, and right. so we've got a, we've got a, a yes. people group that have decided to destroy themselves, and this is what it looks like, you know. But, the, um, you know,
0: if, but no, I'm, but, but, no, I'm sorry, I have interrupted you. Too. So here's the other thing, Jason. Please don't forget what you're going to say. Notice what they did, almost in the in the like just a real clear target. They didn't only come after Cam Newton. They went after his dad, his dad, yeah, they went after fatherhood, they went after masculinity in the most this shame on cam's Newton father for allowing him to think this and believe in this world, but he's got to be the one to change. they came after the very structure and foundation and protector of the of of this particular type of worldview and say it's not allowed anymore, yeah. and then let's destroy the man so now it wasn't just cam who did. We had to go back and retrofit this thing to his dad, too.
1: Right. Retelling the story. Okay, so Cam Newton obviously had a great father because look how successful he is in the world, right? He, He was raised in... He said a three-parent home, right? Mom, right. dad, grandma. Generational
3: blessing, right?
0: Generational blessing. He's he he won a Super Bowl, right? Uh, I don't, I can't remember. I think he got Isn't no, no, the, no. He got to the he they got lost. yeah, he, he got to the finals. He lost the Super, Super Bowl, Bowl yeah. right? He made it to the Super Bowl. Yeah. Hey,
1: you look at him and say, we you don't you don't look at him and say, man, his dad screwed up. <laughs> He's he has raised a failure. Right, you look at him and say look his dad raised a super bowl
0: he got a lot of things right yeah
1: obviously right like he just it's like uh, you were the one that uh, so i i used to be um really uh really down on uh, uh uh oh man Lonzo ball's dad what's his name
0: oh yeah yeah i know uh, who you're talking about yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but yeah. uh the Ball the, Brothers.
1: The Ball, the Ball Brothers. Yeah. And you were like, What are you talking about, man? <laughs> he raised multiple <laughs> sons that made it to the NBA. I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm a moron. <laughs> You're right. He's a good dad. Look at and so he so he's sometimes goofy in public. Lavar Ball. LeVar Ball. Like all, dad, right? all dads are goofy in public sometimes. This dude loves his kids, loves his sons, he's proud of them. He's he, and then and they've obviously learned how to work their tails off. You don't get to the NBA, um, and all then three especially of them, yeah. all three of them, right? You, so, uh, so you know, I was looking at his his public persona and thinking, like, I wouldn't want to spend time with that public persona. But look at the fruit of his fruit of his fathering is significant success for his sons. Yeah. yeah so
0: yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: I, and 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 this is you know take i don't know anything about their spiritual life anything i, right, I right. don't i all i know is in terms of just the worldly success but if if you look at cam newton's father and say man you failed that guy right then you have you no longer should be trusted in any situation
0: <laughs> yeah you know this is now this is you're right you know levar ball for me when i remember when when I saw him, I watched everybody dig on LeVar Ball, and I could see why, because he was annoying. LeVar Ball was taking and saying, my son's, he was doing something that I hadn't seen done by fathers, but more like by managers and coaches and trainers, which is, this yeah. boy is the best thing in the world. And the reason that I only saw by that we do see it by managers, coaches, and trainers is because managers, coaches, and trainers are the real dads in the NBA, NFL, and mostly any other sport. LeVar Ball was the one who was the the, the dad, my son. Right. And he would proclaim the fame of his sons, regardless if it was true or not. But his fatherhood towards his son, his love for his sons. I mean, as they had a reality show, everything that he built, he built for his sons, the generation to come of his grandsons and his grandchildren. And I watched him take all the heat and all the noise so that his sons would get opportunities that other people wouldn't get and he would make, I mean, it was just, and I just said, well, wait, if if you want a dad, you know, it's kind of hard to find a better one who's going to, you got to I mean, live up to no, your, your dad's praise of you. My dad thinks I'm this big.
1: <laughs> right? right. No, you and you t- I mean, you were, t- and you were totally right when I was like, man, that guy's obnoxious. He is
0: obnoxious. Yeah. He, he is. Obnoxious, is. You were wrong yeah. about that.
1: But you're right, though, that in terms of he's a dad who who looks at his sons and says, these, these are my sons and whom I am well pleased. Right. right? Yes. Like, and and the other thing that so and that after you pointed that out, I went and watched interviews with the sons yeah. when they talk about their dad. Oh, yeah. And they're oh, yeah. like, that's my dad. He's he does that sometimes. But like but he's a great dad. Like yeah. every single one of them, like yeah, I mean, he he can be embarrassing sometimes, but he's a great like. But okay, the, the other thing his too sons is sons are stinging his praises as well.
0: Here's one thing: when you know that there's a man in in the house and there's a dad that loves his kids that much, you ain't gonna get over on him. Period. Everybody in the culture hates that. Everybody in the right, culture yeah. is hoping and looking for some form of father hunger to capitalize on to get and manipulate you to where they want you to be. And when you right. have a father that doesn't have, that has filled that hole of father hunger, the rest of the world has to figure out how they can get levers underneath you to manipulate you. And, right. and dads say, no, no, you're not yeah, going to operate you, like you that.
1: Got, you got non. You, yeah. You, if, if there's not space to be guilted and filled, yes. then yes, you have somebody that can't be manipulated, and that is uh, a whole a whole another level of that's right. You know, un- unacceptable in our culture.
0: That and that's what people really hated about Lavar Ball. That's what they really hated about no, him. I think, I he think was a big mouth, right. and they've had other big mouths, and people. He was a big mouth in front of everybody, which created certain problems. But there were other people and other people's parents and uncles that have been involved in the NBA that were just as difficult to deal with that nobody saw. Right. Right. LeVar just capitalized off of all of it, seen or unseen, right. you know. And so I, I respected him. But here's um, some of the things that I wanted to work through with you today with. So that clip came up in my head. And have you been paying attention to the whole Disney groomer situation that's going on right yeah. now? Everybody's. Yeah. <clears throat> so I've been watching that and I've been trying to distill this all down to like the real problem. Cause I, the real problem helps you be able to figure out the real answer to all of this. Right. And I was talking to Sharon and I was like, he said, babe, you know, what was it? 14. My daughter's about to be 15 in October, 14 years ago. We were in Georgia and, Somebody's daughter came over our house and they were hanging out and their daughter was a huge Disney fan. Now, 14 years ago, Disney wasn't where they are now. At least they weren't actively, visibly where they are now. Yeah. But I remember watching the Disney shows and the kids watching those Disney shows and the go ahead.
1: The the movies weren't where they are now, but the the Disney Channel shows were.
0: That's exactly where I was about to get to. I would even say some of the movies were there. Some of the movies were there. Because, I'll get to that in a second. The Disney Channel TV shows had all the kids thinking their dads were stupid, didn't understand, were ignorant. Parents didn't have a real handle on the world. And the heroes of all the stories were the kids. Yeah. And they had to lead their parents to a particular type of water to drink from it. And once they did, the parents got that you were and who you are and who you thought you wanted to be was the real story. And that is what changed everything is you being who you feel you are. Um, And I remember watching this girl. Be disagreeable with her father at a foundational level, not at a, you know, It wasn't like, oh, she was just saying no because she's learning, right? There's a discipline, like you learn and you get discipled. This was at a more foundational level. And I remember telling Sharon, I was like, that is nothing but the shows that they're watching. She's believing the wrong kind of story and narrative about who she is and who her parents are. I was like, and that's going to be a problem for them in the next 14 years if they don't get this together. And I was like, so Disney is not in our house.
1: The defining narrative yeah you know, we so we 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 watch some of the disney shows of uh, movies some of the yeah, older movies yep. especially like robin hood um yeah know, was, any any movie that where the kids shout death to tyrants you yeah. know
0: i'm i'm all in on that um but the most disney of the kids Channel, ain't seen the robin hood though i mean honestly that's a old i know that's old classic that's disney when they gave it to cool, you the vhs dude. boxes with the plastic wrap around mm-hmm. that was really cool and colored they don't even yep. make those it no was great no
1: <laughs> that so um but the but Disney Channel we didn't do and and it was two reasons. One, you had that the narrative about um kids not needing parents. Yeah. Right. That's a problem. But the other thing is the sexualization of girls. That's right? little girls. That's in, yeah. in on the Disney Channel was terrible. And I remember used to always tell my wife, we'd be someplace Disney Channel, I'd say, those girls are getting abused. 100 percent so if it's not somewhere on set then it's you know and now the stories are coming out
0: yeah i just saw right? that they just released stories yeah
1: so they're releasing stories because that is because um you don't dress up 12 13 year old girls like like 22 year old women look you know going to the club without consequences
0: Like miley now, cyrus okay we didn't
1: yeah right yeah now we did watch Casey undercover because that show was great.
0: <laughs> I didn't ever watch Casey. Undercover.
1: I love that show, but, here, I'm, I'm, but, the, but that it didn't have the sexualization that, and for me, that, that is, that was a huge thing. So we watched a lot of um, Asian, Asian kids shows growing okay. up. My, my kids. So I raised, and there was this point where um, Abigail was seven years old and she had all of her, her um her stuffed animals lined up and when she said when she told us their names all of the names were japanese and i was like we we might want to slow down on the japanese (laughs) cartoons maybe (laughs) because she's she's thinking that japanese names are actually the normal names and (laughs) it was really really kind of funny but but part of the reason was because uh the japanese shows family structure was so healthy Right? right. The way that they, the Japanese cartoons presented the family structure was so healthy and good. And, um, and so we just really, we really dug in in that direction. And the, the, you had to deal with some animism here and there, but animism so much closer to reality than animism secular, was animism. uh, where, where there's a every, where there's a spirit in everything. Uh,
0: right. Right.
1: Um, so it's sort of
0: a it's it's pantheism sort of too is that kind of what that is panentheism yeah, it,
1: there's well there's it's more pantheism more pantheism. straight pantheism so yeah. panentheism is where God is in the the one God is in everything, so yeah. it's a it's a, a it's mono it's monotheistic but everything is in God and everything is in god yeah um pantheism is uh where everything has a spirit. Um, and the, so you've got, you know, the spirit of the river and the spirit of the tree and the spirit, you know, all of that. Right. But, and that's actually, that's actually closer than to reality. The I can work with that. Yeah. I can yeah, work I can, with right, that. Right? You, you're, you're, working. So, but, but the, but the family structure, there's a, a deep respect for the office of father and mother and the office of grandfather and, mother, well, and grandmother. That's the thing. Those offices that, and, are
0: protected. They are protected in mm-hmm. a lot of, in yeah. so, but even that's, well, what did you say when we started talking in the beginning? He's like, we got to paganize everybody again.
1: Yeah. We got to, re- there's a, a repaganization because materialism is so dehumanizing. So you, you, you know, you read um, everything a, a lot. of I mean, most of the philosophers post post, Kant, post Hegel, they think in terms of mechanization. Um, so every person is a part of the whole, but is an interchangeable part, right? That, They're trans, so, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. So so you can take a person, uh, and and so a lot of the, especially the the forties, fifties, sixties, the sci-fi was the they were the prophets that started to see these problems. Mm. So you've got. 1984 you got uh animal farm is in this stream but a little bit different but you started to get brave new world yeah, where they started yeah. to, to see um the uh the uh, the giver is another good example right it's, so it's the sci-fi started to see that the mechanization of society as a uh, being envisioned metaphorically as a machine was dehumanizing, right? It, that people were turned into a cog in the machine that could be replaced, right? And and um that, that goes against our our humanity and actually turns us into a different kind of creature. But so long as our needs our, our needs were being met and especially what the what the sci fi taught us was that there were certain kinds of of needs that made us susceptible to being willing to our humanity in exchange for a regular dose right so whether it's the soma of of brave new world where you get your regular dose of drugs that made that gave you the the hit of dopamine right um, or uh uh the w- the the libido dominandi which is you know the ability to be dominated by our desires, by our lusts, that certain lusts, when out of control, make us easy to manipulate.
0: Well, that's Huxley too. Um, Those two things are the same, yeah. right? So, right, they, yeah, yeah, exactly. They get and you so, drugged up on that stuff so that you say, "Oh, you need this," and you you, keep, you don't know life apart from it because it just becomes a nature natural part of life for you. And they right. train you. The and ending, what's, yeah?
1: What's crazy about Brave New World when you read it is one of the things that he realizes was at that point, deeply human was liturgical unity, liturgical expression, right? So everybody came together and they had to sing certain songs together. They would go through certain motions. And that was a part of what was used to manipulate them because it was so deeply, it, 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 it had a similar dopamine effect to sex or drugs. Um, was that musical liturgical unity. Well, that though, even now at this point, nobody's experienced even that anymore. Right. So we've been dehumanized now to almost to an animalistic um, understanding.
0: I think that they have turned singing into, um, cheering so you get it now in your sports arenas and your engagement Mm -hmm. sports concerts are still kind of there but that's why the halftime show is so important is because it brings the music back into the cheering so you have something the camaraderie around that you know
1: yeah and those are not actually bad things no no
0: it's part of nature i think they understand the flow of things
1: they're just now they're just replacements yes right and and god will god will bless things that are add-ons, and curse them when we try to make them replacements, right?
3: Ooh. Like sports,
1: sports when it's added on to a faithful liturgical expression of worship, and you know, um in terms of like, you know, Saturday afternoon we go we go play soccer together, and it's fun, and you know, as an add-on to faithful culture, it's a blessing. When it becomes a replacement, it becomes cursed.
0: When you when you God restructure your it's the your same loves, with like.
1: Yeah, it's the same with like uh you know if if you try to uh, reading the Bible is good. It's a blessing. If you try if you try to read the Bible instead of going to church, God will even mm. curse your Bible
0: reading. Ew. Ew. He said yeah, there's there's Bible those verses actually about this. So mm-hmm. um one of the things that – so I brought up so the whole fatherhood. So everything with Disney to me, all the problems that I see in Disney are not problems that Disney um, created themselves i think that we created yeah. in the lack of good fatherhood an a, a opportunity for the serpent to come in with the replacement and to feed what yeah. we've created in father hunger right and i think yeah. fa- Go
1: disney just figured out how to monetize the father hunger and
0: we let them they we, didn't create yeah we we said oh you can be a good assistance to me, so that I don't have to be a good father. Now that's not the th- thing we thought we were trading off on, but that's exactly right. what we end up doing. We are started saying, "Well, I, now I get more time." For, we we started treating our kids um, less like humans uh, and more like uh, accessories. Accessories. That's exactly accessories right to our
1: life. When, yeah.
0: That's exactly right accessories to our life and i'll play with you i'll engage you when i feel like it completely opposed to what bible says about when you stand up when you sit down when you lie down when you walk along the way right it's not giving you an out when not to be a father to be teaching your kids and and because of that abdication we've created a three-headed dragon right that has engulfed not just our so you look back 14 years i Jason, I w- I'm going to go back and say the Little Mermaid. Um, you've won me over on Beauty and the Beast. I'll, I'll give you that one. Um, Moana. I better have
1: won you over on the Lion King too.
0: Yo, oh, you absolutely won me over Lion King. Absolutely won me <laughs> over because that one isn't. Yeah. That's that's not in the. So with Little Mermaid, it is. It was so trans, <laughs> right? It was. Yeah. It was. But it was Little so Mermaid, gay.
1: Is really is what's strange about it is, um, you know the the song about her temptations, right? In terms of the way a musical works, is you've got the the setup of the world is one musical number, the setup of the lie of the main character is usually the next musical number, and then the the setup of the villain is usually the next musical number. And, and that's, we, when you watch a musical, when you write musicals, um, I've written a couple of musicals when you're working on, on, that's how it, that's how the structure functions Mm. and we live in a culture that, that knows and understands that structure in our bones, right? That it works because we're surrounded by it, right? We're raised in it. We're, even if you don't go see musicals or anything, it's
4: just the structure the, the of stru- life.
1: The, the structure of, of a musical functions um, culturally, right? It's like, a, it's like part of our cultural inheritance. Uh, and it goes back a long time, multiple generations. So you've, uh, but the way that it's set up with the little mermaid, and this is what makes it so um, un- undercutting is when she sings, the song that's supposed to be the lie that she's telling. She even says in there, a place where fathers can't tell you what to do right yeah. now. If it was set up in the story, like, and then, and then she learned that she was wrong, then it would be fine. Right. Cause that's what you've got in frozen, right? Let it go yeah. is the song where she is singing the lie that she's telling herself. And then the story shows her that that was wrong. Right. Uh, the the story actually comes back and confirms the song that's supposed to be the lie, in
0: and it Mermaid. turns
1: out she was right in the Little Mermaid. Yeah, so it turns out she was right in. So it wasn't a lie that the world that um, had to adjust itself to her and to her lie, so that um, to and that's what makes it such a bad movie. Yeah. But now some of the songs you pick them up, you drop them somewhere else and the songs are fine. The, 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 but the story argues for something different than, well, the, the story argues against the musical structure. And usually it, the story is supposed to argue against the lie being told. Right. And so <laughs> that, that's why, I mean, my kids didn't watch the little mermaid until they were much older. And yeah. Um, and lion we could too. talk about
4: it, yeah right, that's um, right
1: but but there were other you know, but the lion king the the story functions um against lie, you've got the the main character, and uh the and the bad guy have start with the same lie, and then they the story argues against it and shows you what truth is, and that you have to lay down your life. For others, right? So, yeah. so a broke
0: clock is right twice a day, you know.
1: <laughs> well, no you you had what happened is you had a a lot of Christians, um, working in Disney for a lot of years. I know. Because yeah, they were their their stated mission was to give families excellent experiences together, and Christians said, "I can work for that company. I can do that."
0: Well, they wanted uh, families. Got... Yeah, they, they knew what a family mm-hmm. was, and so right.
1: and that, but then. The the thing to – because it used to be that you could monetize family life, right? That's what's gone away. Now you monetize the brokenness. Now they're monetizing the brokenness of the family, or they're monetizing the father hunger.
0: Yeah, they, uh, Well, and they started – I think they started doing it a long time ago. They just couldn't do it as I, – I think some – I don't know when it happened, but the shift happened in Disney – um, and I think it was, I think they started discipling a generation to, I think they did a top down, bottom up setup where they started discipling a generation to be certain type of men and certain type of women that they wanted in culture. And they just had to wait 15, 20 years before they got to 20 and 30 year olds. Yeah. Right. And what's
1: well, what, what ha so what happened is, um, they didn't actually do it in all of Disney at the same time. No, right. Absolutely so started- not. They started over in Disney Television, yeah, right, and then oh, now it's in the movies as well, right? So now it's worked its way into everything. But they started in Disney Television. They started with um, the the live action aspects of Disney Television, and then moved into the cartoon aspects of Disney Television, and then and it's about to get a lot worse.
0: It's about to get a lot worse. they say they're going to queer it up now. 50% more elite characters, trans, homosexual, right? But yeah. the, the structure of fathers and men got obliterated. So that was the first thing that they went really after was dad doesn't understand me. I have a vision, a view of the world. Dad is a buffoon. He's just here. You know, which is it's just so weird because Mitchell's versus Machines was like complete opposite of all that, which is why I loved it in a lot of ways. Right. And and they told a story. I feel like they stepped in their own poo on that one and don't even know what they did. You know? <laughs> like,
1: right. And it's been and it's been one of the um was that was that Disney or was that DreamWorks?
0: I don't know. I I don't know who that was. I think it might have been Dreamworks. But yeah, whoever it was looking yeah, at
1: I think I think whoever it was, they it's very countercultural. But what's so interesting about it is it's also what they said was um, that it was. So it's Sony, That was Sony. Sony, Sony Pictures okay. Animation. Um, yeah, it was Sony. Who? Yeah, uh, what they said though was um, after they said, "Well, but." Actually, though, the the daughter was a lesbian. We just didn't tell you. But that's... And so they they actually sort of came around on the back end and tried to explain... Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. No,
1: but here's... Let me tell you what really is going on there. But it wouldn't have worked in the story, and so they left it out. It wouldn't... Because it would have undercut what the story is saying, Um, which is you've got this dad who... Everybody at the beginning, everybody's like he's this buffoon who's got a who he's a prepper, you know all of those things, and then he's the only one ready when the machine apocalypse comes. It's amazing. And, Everything and so they said about the like, world was true. Remember our training, and they're like, oh, the training. And then they remember, and then they needed the training. And it's a it's a really really well told story. The animation makes me so happy. I loved the animation. It's so well done.
0: I just thought that – so as I've been thinking about this and looking at the narrative, all I've thought about, Jason, is that, okay, we are in a 20-year hole that we only get out of this particular 20-year hole through men winning their homes again.
1: Yeah, but it's a, it's a 120-year hole. That's the oh,
0: problem. You shut up. I'm done. I don't want to talk to you anymore. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> 120 120 <laughs> years?
1: it goes back and this goes back to world war 1
0: i, I know is, that's where i know that well actually the turn of the century yeah i think you're right the early yeah. 1900s 1913 yeah so, oh, anyway go yeah. ahead uh, 120
1: you know, you years i know uh, you had a generation gap that was there when world war 1 started and world war 1 turned the heat up and and hardened the cement but why 120 years can we well, do- I think it's, <laughs> <laughs> that, but you know the 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 blessings of God are a they're a a wrecking ball, man. That the cement uh, the cement isn't going to withstand the blessings of God. That's but we've just got we the 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 generation gap is um, you know is a gnostic understanding of the way generations work, right? You got. Two sets of ideas that, and you can't, and so you're, you're completely different sorts of creatures.
0: What do you mean generation to get? Like, explain that.
1: So a generation gap was, it, it was a term that I think it was coined in the 40s or the early 50s. Um, and it, one of the reasons it was coined was because it, it was, you did different kinds of advertising. To different generations, right? right? So when right. you so say, the salesmen started realizing um, that the that there's a gap in the way that the generations think, and and that comes from the mechanization of war in World War One, where the the fathers sent their sons off to war. The fathers had all fought in wars, but they'd fought on horses with sabers. There were some cannons and things, but it was still horses and sabers and charges. World War One, you have machines of war that nobody had ever seen. Never seen it anything like that. you have gas attacks where you just drop um, enormous amounts of poisonous gas on your enemy, and they have made they've they've dug trenches in order to to stop the, the that that's you you dig trenches and you put up fences and all sorts of things to stop the charge of the enemy in the previous generations of war. Well, now. All, they're all in these trenches, and then the poisonous gas is heavier than the air, and it drops in, and it kills everyone, and everyone's choking to death. And, and, and In previous generations, PTSD was always a part of war. In previous generations, though, you go home that, from war, and you have nightmares, and your dad and your uncle and your grandfather say, no, I get it. Come here. I got you. We'll, we'll reintegrate together. It gets better. Trust me. I went through it. I went through the same thing. I remember the horse hooves in my nightmares. And, you know, it's all the way back to Julius Caesar writing about the Gallic Wars. He talks about PTSD, right? It's, it's, um, what happens though is they say, Oh man, so you know about the, uh, gas watching your, watching people choked to death.
0: Trying to put on the like, gas mask. Yeah.
1: Trying to get your gas mask. No, I don't. Right. I don't. Right. And the parents the fathers looked at their sons and said, actually I don't know if it will get better. I don't have the same experiences. Right? And the poetry of the World War One soldier is so tragic to read. It's beautiful. There's some amazing, amazing poets um, that were born out of World War One. Tolkien and Lewis were both born out of World War One, And that sense of loss, that there is no longer a connection to the previous generation, all of them display it. And Tolkien, I mean, I think that's a major part of what motivated him to write was that sense of loss of the previous generation. G.K. Chesterton's older brother died in World War One, and he his whole life said, you know, he was the great writer. I'm nothing compared to my older brother. Wow. And so he, so he, there's this sense of loss, um, of that, that an entire generation of poets writes about beautifully. Then world war two comes along and now you've got airplanes. Now you've got atomic weapons you've got. And so now a whole nother generation can't communicate with their sons when they come home. Now they didn't get the comfort of their fathers, so they didn't know how to have that anyway. But then they couldn't comfort their own sons because they're like, Oh, you dropped atomic bombs on Japan. I don't know what to tell you. I don't have that kind of guilt. You're, oh, the, the, the blanket bombing of Berlin. You, I don't have that kind of mass I, death I, I, to yeah. that mass death, right? The, the bloodiest century uh, in the history of the world was the 20th century, right? It, the secular century. um the the where and and you know you look at something like futureland at disney there was so much hope in the 30s and in the 40s about the possibilities of what technology was going to bring but what it brought was atomic weapons. right? and so you move into this era of the baby boomers um where they have all of the money, all of the technology, all everything that you could ever want um financially, right? Really but they could not connect with their children.
0: No fathers.
1: No the so so now you've got three generations in a row that couldn't connect with their children. Right? And and now it's considered normal. There is no one in living memory that remembers what it was like to not have a generation gap. Right. And, um, and so the whole, the entire, you know,
0: so Jason, uh, don't lose what you're going to ask a question here. So you're saying basically from like 1913, first world war, all the way up till 1960. Okay. Yeah. Give me, give me a time frame.
1: Yeah, till 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 the Vietnam War, right? So you the you've got now fathers sending their sons off to war saying Good luck. Know, good You're luck. done. Right? Yeah. yeah. And them coming back and say and with no expectation whatsoever okay. that they will be able to, to reconnect.
0: So hit pause here for a second. So is it fair to say Regardless of what's going on between the turn of the century, man fighting on horses to man fighting with machine guns, seeing mass amount of death through explosions and gas, that first generation that has that transition, because of Gnosticism, though, they said you're not made of the same stuff I am because of your your economic experiences are different than mine. Therefore, the ontological relationship of us is completely obliterated.
1: Right, the uh, that we, you, we are different kinds of creatures because you have one different set of experience. ideas. That's but, very right? important. Your your generation thinks rock and roll is a good idea. My generation thinks swing's a good idea. We must be different kinds of creatures, right? Oh, your generation listens to hip-hop. My generation listens to rock and roll. We must be different kinds of creatures.
0: And the reason so for that, though, is because we're thinking that the experiences and the – because I keep on want to drive this point, the economic experiences or operations that we have, however they are, has foundationally separate, have reveals the fact that we are different types of ontological things, right? We, we are different right, types of right. creatures.
1: They, well, and, and part of it's because in a modernist mindset and a materialist mindset, ontology is not even a real thing, right? We are oh, organized. We're, we're matter organized economically. Right, so we don't ha- really have a nature; we ha- have a particular organization of matter in the moment, and we're just arranged uh, a range of particular Gnosticism, type of way. We're yeah. So Gnosticism adds to it: we're also a clump of ideas, right? We're a, we're matter organized a particular way, joined to a clump of ideas, and that so there's not an ontological reality that we conform ourselves to, right? We are conformed by the world into a particular set of into a particular organization of matter. Or the world conforms us into this organization and then we are a clump of ideas joined to that. Right. That's a, a that's the, the way we come into being
0: that, that completely obliterates every category of man, woman, woman, Father, children, offices,
1: every kind of societal organization is, is there, there's, there's not a, there, there's not a right way to, to be because we don't know what kind of creature we are, right? We are the ideas that we have press out in and cause us to organize in certain ways. But I just, just so sets I, of ideas.
0: so I just started reading this book. I think it was David Fowler who might've recommended it or you did. I can't remember which one of you, but the metaphysical reality, the metaphysical structure of American history. Um,
1: yeah. That was David Fowler. David, Fowler, Fowler. He, yeah. He sent that.
0: I bought it and I got it and it was written in 1959. And the, what was really fascinating about the first chapter in the introduction, he says, um, we're at a very amazing point in history because for the first time, American history is looked at as being a theory and not a fact.
1: <laughs> Interesting.
0: He's like, for the first time, he's like, and right now the conversation and the argument is over whether or not history is something that is locked in place or is a theory and boy when he said that i'm like oh my goodness here we are 1619 project my only point in saying that is that when you have a display a a, a rupture like what we what you're talking about in this time in turn by the time you get up to the 60s 1959 reality is destroyed because all the structures of what even a being is a human being is and how they relate to each other have all been destroyed therefore you're dislodged from reality itself,
1: right? There, and the all of the all of the traditional identity markers are dissolved in the over the course of three generations, right? And it's worse in America than other places because we also don't have the traditional even architecture to be able to say, Hey, you remember when we used to be this kind of uh-huh, society? Remember uh-huh, when we, right.
0: Uh-huh. Um, so now we, everything that we do, we go back to the Victorian era right now. So when you hear us talk, right. we don't, we go all the way back to the Victorian area to talk about as best we can, some of our traditions, because we have yeah. lost so many of them, you know, tr- yeah. anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, you know, and so, um, and, And in ways, I don't, in a lot of ways, it's a, it's an opportunity, right? That we should be looking at and saying like, oh, wait, okay. So God has put us right here in this moment. Um, How do we, how do we build, right? So God has raised much of Western civilization. How do we build, right? We, so, too many Christians are thinking like, "Oh no, we got a retreat right but a fl- we got flat ground it's time to start building. The thing is what we don't know we, what we don't know how to do is pour concrete we don't know what is the foundation of society we don't know what is what goes what goes at the base of it all, um, and so we're like, you know what let's start on the attic." Let's build an attic. I need an attic. You're like, yeah, we don't have concrete yet. The concrete has all been, you know, destroyed and 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 uh jackhammered up and been tossed. And so we we've got to figure out what is the actual concrete and start pouring it, right? Start and, pouring it with and, our kids.
0: And that's evident in what we were talking about earlier with Cam Newton and his comments about man and woman. Right. So I think you can see easily where they the the world and secularism and American America, where they're at right now is not allowing you to even talk about tradition at all. Right. But then the Christians or the ones who supposedly are conservative. Don't see that. Wait, that's not a problem of of like you said, you don't start building there in the attic. You have a foundational problem. That is right. the reason why you can't even talk about the traditions. <laughs> like that's all that stuff that we're talking about with Cam Newton. That's way at the top of this. That's the attic stuff, right? Yep. That's all attic stuff. That is not foundational stuff. It just shows you just how kitty wampus the whole situation is.
1: Yeah, and th- and this is, and you know, I see this with, Pete, When people say, when people talk about society they actually they they spend their time usually talking about culture on the defensive they they spend their time talking about how do we um how do we protect ourselves against this cultural onslaught right um and and everything not not everything but most of what christians and conservatives do is respond to whatever is the latest thing right and and just have a an a, a an against against her personality as a group right well we're the ones that are opposed to this and that and that we don't have a positive vision for society you know if if everything collapsed right now there wouldn't be anyone to write the new constitution if we needed one, because there's nobody that knows even how that works. There wouldn't be anyone to, to restart a legal system because nobody knows what the foundations are, but the foundations have all been shook, been crumbled. Right. And I think it's, I think it's because we, we trust in idols in the West, right? We, and, and God was like, no, nope, not having that squishing that.
0: So what, where is it? Where are the foundations? Where's the good place to start? Because that's that's where I that's where I'm at right now. Because I think everybody else is having. Yeah. I'm watching everybody else having the conversations and getting the hits from talking about all the fun Disney stuff, and I want to talk about that too. We are going to talk about it. But the, my point in bringing all that up is that I'm seeing the problem is way more foundational. Have Have we been doing our jobs and building the kind of culture that we need to build? Disney wouldn't be where it is. And I don't want to look. Yeah. If I look at Disney and I'm saying, man, that's a problem. I have. To, God is showing me in some way, a mirror of my own sin and problem that I need to repent of. And when I see stuff like this, I'm like, okay, I got to do better. I got to repent of something because obviously I am enhancing the type of culture and worldview that's going to eat me alive. And so where are the foundations that we need to start building?
1: So I think, I mean, I think our fundamental heresy in the church is Gnosticism, right? And that's a rejection of the body As a blessing, right? The, the body is the curse that we need to, um, get power over and it's a rejection of history, right? We, we need to be saved from history, right? And we're saved from history to ideas, um, and we're saved from our body through force, right? We gain enough, uh, uh, we gain enough social force to no longer have to, uh, to, submit to the limits of our body right and so you can see that on the secular side you can see the rejection of the limits of our body by you know the it's come to the end where we're trying to you know take take medications and do surgeries to reject the limits of our body now it's not going to work because they're limits right they're they're real the limits are real you can't but the thing that um the the more invisible part to us is the rejection of history the rejection rejection of being historical beings and i think that's where we actually need to dig in what kind of world do we actually live in
0: so let me get what, this so, we, we live
1: st- in a historical world and what does that mean
0: yeah so say that so you two things i want to get i'm writing this down narcissism the rejection of the body Limitations
1: <clears throat> right. of the body, right? That the body Rejection is a curse in its limitations, and so we have to g- gain enough power to be able to overcome the limitations of
0: our body. And that's come from the church, you said.
1: Oh, I mean, the the church is a huge part of it. I mean, you see that you see um, the Gnostic, So the Gnosticism in a lot of the hymns of the '30s, '40s, '50s, '60s, you know. I love the hymn, I'll fly away musically, oh, but glory
0: it's,
1: I it's a, Gnostic, it's a Gnostic, it's a Gnostic hymn. Um, I'll fly away. Um, I'll fly away, sweet darling. I'll fly away. Right?
0: Sweet darling. What? That's not how you sing it.
1: Yeah, Is that how white
0: folks sing? I'll fly away.
1: I don't know. No, probably not. That's I was gonna me say mixing it.
0: up. Okay. <laughs> I'll fly away. Oh, glory. Oh glory! Yeah. Fly away. Those tent revival songs. It is
1: those tent revival songs. So what happened is the the rejection of the body began as a rejection of the body of Christ. Before we rejected our own physical bodies, we rejected the body of Christ, and and through tent you know, revivalism, tent revivals, a rejection of the of the historic and objective institutional church we said that's got limits that we don't want and so i'm out of here mm. and so we 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 became a revivalistic people right it's a it's a gnosticism that rejects the bodyness the historical body of jesus in jesus's church jesus's people right so um and then that has led to a further rejection of our physical bodies, right? So we don't have any defense against the rejection of our physical bodies because we've already rejected the body of Christ, right? We've rejected the objective institutional church as a real thing that is, um, that really actually it is a historic institution in the world with real authority, real offices, real sacraments, you know, all of those things. We've rejected all of that, um, and just said, "Well, no, it's just me connected with Jesus through a set of ideas, right?" And so I'm good. And we can, however, we can ha, need to communicate. Let's do that, right? Now that began, um, like we talked about before, with the um, with with the abolitionist movement, right? In that era, you begin. I mean, there was a little bit of it in the first Great Awakening, but most of what happened in the first Great Awakening ends up going back into the church. Right now when the so when the church chains the doors so that the gospel preachers can't get in and they have to go across the street and preach in a field, right, that that is a that's a problem. Right. But most of the first great awakening ends up moving back into the church. This is similar to the Jesus people. Movement. Most of it ends up moving back into the church, which is, I think the difference between a real move of the spirit and a false move of the spirit is where does it move people? Does it move people towards Jesus into the church or away from them? So the, the second
0: great awakening,
1: second great awakening, move people away from the church, move people into parachurch. Organizations. The event of the parachurch organization is really the second great awakening. The way we see it. Now the middle ages had some parachurch organizations and, as well, but.
0: Well, so then, can I mix in with that? And I want to move on to history in a second, but can I mix in with that? The idea of grasping. So, because we, we, like you said, revivalism, I think it's part of, I kind of want to mix, I don't believe, I totally believe in revivals, but it was repentance and it comes from the church. That's where it comes from. Or, like you said, it pushes you back to the church and God uses a prophet and strengthens the church through that prophet, doesn't break it. So then, yep. um, but what happened was there was, already happening this shift of the church government, not being a real government in American society. And so then Mm -hmm. instead of uh, waiting for the spirit to convict and operate, because I believe it was and moving, we wanted a more immediate work to be done that uh, created a a separation from the normal means in which God operates through his church. And so we said, we want it faster. We want it greater. We want it now and and and
1: there were politicians that were willing to say, "Oh, we'll give it to you faster,
0: oh, right,
1: and so there were Christians that said, "Well, then we'll ditch the church, which moves too slow, right and let and we'll go to the politicians that that are promising to give it to us faster
0: so Gnosticism not being able to under- i can't say it as well as you Gnosticism in one sense not being able to understand um the limitations of the body, right.
1: The limitations of the body, right? Okay. So it's a rejection of the limitations of the body. Rejection
0: that, of the limitations, that, okay.
1: Right. Yeah. Um, rather than embracing, right? So, because like God time gave our too, body limitations, right? yeah. And it's a blessing, right? The limitations of the body are a blessing, right? We and and they make a lot of joy possible, they make a lot of pleasure possible. And we want to reject, and Gnosticism wants to reject. The limitations of the body, but it's not just the physical body. It also rejects the limitations of the historic body of the church.
0: So that's where history right. comes into play. So that's the second thing: So narcissism, and then history.
1: Yeah. So it also is a rejection of history um, as a as a real as as something that is real and truly. Um, so history becomes a curse. You need to be saved out of history you need to be saved to a different plane saved to the the plane of ideas and ideals uh values things like that rather than being able to say no there's a historical act the historical development of uh uh there's uh, of the the maturity and the growth of people and of of the institutions of people oh. uh, of people and such and um it's a, a a rejection of the that being the place where God meets us.
0: Okay, Jason. That right?
1: the that history is the theater of God's glory. The history is actually where God promises to be and meets
0: us. When I started understanding covenantal theology, and and tell me if I'm seeing this right, but there is a group of people inside of Christendom that want to. Separate the church from Israel. You know, yeah. Is that kind of the same thing that we're seeing? Like, and then you start seeing it even more in Andy Stanley. It's like we got to unhitch the Old Testament, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. So the the Gnostics most rejected the Old Testament. They say that again. Um, Gnostics
0: rejected. So the,
1: the, the early Gnostics they rejected the Old Testament. So be, the the Old Testament was a different God. Jesus came and revealed a new God and overthrew the God of the Old Testament and gave us now a new way of being human is how they even talked about it. Right. You, so, um,
0: I've heard that so much
1: heresies. Yeah. That's right, rampant right. in the
0: charismatic world. Rampant.
1: And, and what's, uh, so it, it how you see it, the, there's there's the really crazy versions of it, but most of the way you see it is the Old Testament had to do with the physical, the New Testament has to do with the spiritual. spiritual. The Old Testament has yep. to do with the, um, the, the genealogical, the highly converted people of God. Okay, State stay right. against uh, the Old Testament had to do with so the physical. You
0: see that the new testament had to do with the spiritual the physical okay
1: yeah or the physical or the historical people of god um the genealogical people of god yes. you see people say sometimes the new testament has to do with the truly converted right the new testament has to do the, the there aren't people in the new covenant that are not truly converted right that because because the new covenant is a set of ideas that we subscribe
0: oh you to. better shut up you right. know, so
1: that's the, that's the in the 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 subtle form of gnosticism that we that you see and run
0: into. You know that's that's rampant in the massive forms of evangelicalism that are reformed. That's oh, yeah. rampant, oh,
1: yeah. right? This is not we're not we're not talking about them over there, right? This, this is, is us. us. I mean, yeah. I'm talking I'm talking about my people whom I love.
0: Yeah. <laughs> right. This, not, this is my dispensational brothers and sisters. Right? Like this is this is, this and, is our family. Like, this is us. And a lot
1: of, and a and a lot of reformed folks too. You know, and, and unfortunately you'll see people act like and really, when does the new covenant start? Well, Luther. <laughs> I mean they don't they wouldn't say that, but they act like that, right? Like that's when the the when justification by faith is finally um really found and then we've got the real church really beginning.
0: And I think most of them, the, the more reformed folks will say, um, in the new Testament in acts was when the new covenant started.
1: Yeah. yeah, They'll say that. I and mean, then that's officially what they'll say, but they act like, you know, what really happened was then Martin Luther, then it disappeared and Martin Luther rediscovered it or something. You
0: know, it, it's, you know, it's funny because reading Peter lighthart the four gospels, he makes an argument that the new covenant actually started, um, at the at the end of the Old Testament, right? Like that's when the New Covenant started. At the end of Malachi. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I'm not the, Malachi. It, it, no, no, Zechariah. Um, oh, I have to go find it because he's that uh, it,
1: it starts. Yeah, during the in, in the restoration. Yes, And uh, the return from yeah, and because that is what the the phrase the New Covenant is actually talking specifically about the return. Um, from exile, right? The return from Babylon. So, when you return from Babylon, it's talking about that's when the new covenant begins. Now, there's a there. Every one of the covenants is typologically fulfilled in the in the death and resurrection of Jesus. Right. Right. So, there. So, the Abrahamic covenant um, technically begins with Abraham and then is fulfilled in Jesus, and then we are grafted into it the new covenant is begins in the return from babylon it's typologically fulfilled and it's the the true the, the the true thing that it was pointing to is yes and amen in jesus right that's he is the ultimate fulfillment of every one of the, well, the end of that age comes to the covenant yeah the yeah. end
0: of that age of that co- of that particular covenant comes to an end right too which is
1: right yeah 70, so the 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 new covenant is finally wrapped up in seventy AD. Um and but the typological fulfillment of the new covenant we're still living in, right? Right. It, because Jesus is the yes and amen of the new covenant. Right. So the new covenant is more true uh in Christ than it was right because it because it's now it's fulfilled. Now it's so keep reached
0: keep. its so those are the two two problems. So we're talking. So history, historically, keep going on history because I don't want to make sure we don't miss anything. Maybe restate. So history, because I I really need this. I see our gnostic problem. Our history problem is gnostic in one sense too, because we're disconnecting the realities of our connectedness to the past. Is that the bit, a right good way so to say we, it?
1: So 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 we are so our connection to our our connection to Christ is baptismal right it jesus covenantally attaches us to himself and to his people through baptism
0: yeah
1: our baptism is covenantally bound to it because of history right there's a baptismal succession
0: hebrews talks about that yeah yeah right so
1: so our our baptism unites us to the historic church, which is a real connection. And there's a real, there's a, there's a real adoption. There's a, there's a real inheritance that we are bound to through that historic connection, right? Now um, the, it is not a, it's, it's not a, God's not trying to trick us. With our what we see with our eyes, right? He he's he he says, you know, um, that we are grafted in to the 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 covenantal people of God. We're we're grafted in, and that the old covenant what was a real root system, a real trunk, and we are really truly grafted into that historic people. And so everything that is theirs by promise, right? Every, every inheritance that is the, that is promised to the people of God is ours because we are historically and truly grafted into that covenant. Now we have to keep the covenant. Right? Okay. It's a conditional covenant. We keep the covenant by faith, right? That is. How the covenant is kept it's that that's the condition of the covenant. Faith is a gift from God right so the the covenant people of god um have continually broken covenant, and so God sent his son to become a man to become the true and rightful heir as the king priest mm-hmm. of the covenant to fully and completely keep it as our representative and um, to take all of the sin, swallow it into himself as the rightful representative King priest die on the cross. So he's also the sacrifice uh, be buried, descend into Hades, be raised from the dead so that he could be the just and the justifier. Right? So, God said here it's, it's a conditional covenant. We broke it, but God sent his son to keep the covenant on our behalf. And then we, and then he gave us the faith by the power of the spirit to then be grafted in and, or, you know, to, to retain our place to keep the covenant. Um, All of the work was done by God, but it's done as in a historical way so that he's just. And this is where we have completely separated the history from our preaching of the gospel. We come across a character like Melchizedek and we're like, what, what? what's with him i i've heard people say i think he might not have been a real person but he was a theophany or an angel or yeah i've heard
0: uh, theophany a lot yeah, yeah yeah yeah
1: because uh because we don't know what to do with him because we don't have any sense of the hist- historical nature of what it takes for god to be just and the justifier right <clears throat> so you are you ready for this Melchizedek.
0: Yeah, because I'm about to ask, so what does does this have to do with Melchizedek?
1: The fact that we don't know what Melchizedek has to do with the gospel, even though he's mentioned specifically, right, we're told there are two two chapters of the book of Hebrews set aside so that we will understand why Melchizedek is important, and we still— are like yeah I don't know what I don't get it right um that's cuz we, were because still on we milk. don't understand <laughs> he says we are we're still we're still that's actually what he says and he says yeah you you you're, you you haven't you you're still on milk and you you know you like the basics of baptism and we're like baptism that's basics of milk wait what <laughs> yeah we're still we're going to so, have a
0: debate on that next week
1: um, <laughs> next week right so melchizedek um is the king of Salem right his name means the king of righteousness melchizedek is probably a throne name um a throne name is the name of the public person that holds the office so a throne name has, oh, interesting. has to do with an office so a a person that holds an office is both a public person and a private person right they and the office the throne name has to do with the public person pu- pu- so that we know if they sign a letter, you know, King, King Melchizedek or Melchizedek means king of righteousness, that that's the throne that he's speaking officially as the throne person. Now, if he writes his like regular president name, or you know, something like that. Yeah, like president, um So if if President Obama signs something, Barry, right, which is his first name, um, his his private name, then we know, oh, he's just he's you know, he's just writing as private person. But if he signs it President Obama while he's in office, then he is official correspondence. Melchizedek is most likely a throne name, which means King of Righteousness. And he's the king of a city named Salem that is in Canaan. Now, when we meet him, he's a priest of the Most High God. Right. So um, under the Noaic covenant, he exists as a priest. This is why sometimes you hear, oh, maybe he was Shem, because Shem was still alive at this point. Um, Shem, the son of Noah. Noah is a priest after the Most High God. If Shem is still alive, then Shem would be the priest after the Most High God. We know Shem was still alive. Um, there's other possibilities of who he was, because the, the priesthood can, is also an ordained office, so he would have been maybe ordained by Shem or somebody ordained by somebody who was ordained by Shem, but he is the, the legal, uh, he's, he's a legal priest ordained after the order of Noah. Mm-hmm. Right? So Noah, Noah's priesthood, which is the Adamic priesthood, the priesthood of Adam. Adam was made a priest by God directly. Um, and then the, the descendants of, uh, Adam, the firstborn automatically, Takes on the role of priest, but it goes so wrong so quickly that his firstborn is uh, you know, you've you got Cain, and his his firstborn is disinherited. Cain, um, and and he killed his second. The secondborn was murdered, and so the thirdborn then becomes the rightful heir. And um, but then everybody is killed, and so Noah be, is the rightful heir of Adam at that point, point. Um, and he, the promises of adam are restated to to noah in, um when he gets off the ark now when we meet melchizedek he is the king of salem of the city of salem uh and he is a priest after the most high god so he has uh the the he is a priest king and so his kingship has this priesthood attached to it now abraham when he re- receives everything after his fight with Sodom and Gomorrah, the Kings of Sodom and Gomorrah. He receives all of these benefits, blessings, and he tithes to Melchizedek. So Melchizedek acts as the priest to Noah. I mean, to Abraham, excuse me. Now, now Abraham is also in the promises. He is made the patriarch and the patriarch has certain priestly has a, has a priestly element to it as well. Um, So the patriarch is a priest king until uh, the days of Moses when the priesthood and the patriarchy are separated, right? So there's a separation of the two offices that happens in the law um, that Abraham holds both offices of priest and ruler. So the patriarch is a legal Ruler or establisher of a tribe, right? So it's a civil office. The patriarch, right, right. Abraham, um, his his civil office is Abraham is passed down to Isaac. Then the civil office is passed down to Jacob, and so that's why you've got the prob the problems of Jacob are really it, of Jacob and Esau are really important. Esau is the legal inheritor, but Jacob is the one that God prom to. Esau sells it sells his inheritance of being the patriarch to Jacob um, for a bowl of soup, which shows that he wouldn't have made a good patriarch anyway, right? right? That's not the patriarch um, you want. That's the, um, now, God, then so Jacob is then the legal and the promised patriarch, but Isaac tries to reject him and, um, and but God and Jacob working together end up tricking him into doing the right thing, um, Legally, right? He would have been, had he ordained Esau, he would have been stealing the 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 inheritance because it was rightfully Jacob's. Now, the, then God says, I'm going to make Joseph the next heir, and they reject him, they send him down to Egypt, they throw him into a well, they send him down to Egypt, and the patriarchy actually dies in the process because they rejected it, right? And so... God when he brings them back out of Egypt he gives them this new role uh where you've got the uh, the Moses um as the ruler and Aaron as the priest right so you've got this separation of the priesthood now uh from the kingship and then legally uh when David is established he's told that he can't be a priest by by the Moses, by the law right the law separates the priesthood but David so David um He is anointed king uh, he is anointed the future king, but he's not yet made the king because Saul is the one who is the king. Saul loses his kingship, but his son Jonathan abdicates to David the rightful as the rightful heir to Saul's throne. Now, David also marries Saul's daughter, Michael. And is adopted into the line of Saul by Saul. And so um, Jonathan, who's the rightful heir to the king, abdicates to David. David is also in. So he's the second legal son of Saul. And the first legal son abdicates his throne rights. Wow. I'm seeing this. I'll keep going. This is good. This is David. Becomes the legal th- des- descendant of Saul. He's also um, the descendant of Jesse. Jesse is the descendant of Judah, who is the rightful heir of Joseph, um, who, who is the who is the rightful heir. Excuse me, of the patriarchy yeah. because Joseph was never installed. So, uh, firstborn of of. The, the first and second born of, Ju, of uh of uh, Abraham, Isaac, of Jacob, the f, um, they are disinherited. Uh, Judah's the third born. The first and second born are disinherited because they murdered uh, um, the tribe that wanted to join a, um, and be able to marry their sister uh, Dinah. Right. So they, they want to, they want to marry the, the, Prince wants to marry their sister and they're upset about it. And so they say, but, but well, he says, well, you can, ma- you can marry him if you get,
0: well, they actually defla- He deflowered her. And then the, he married her, came back and right, wanted yeah. to marry her. Right. And they were mad about that. They were mad about that. Right. And circumcised so them all had, and killed them the next day. <laughs> yeah. They killed they, their when brothers.
1: They, when they were, when they were in pain, they, killed them, right? But that'd be like saying, yeah, if you get baptized, go ahead. They you they hop in the hot tub to get baptized and you throw a toaster in, right? You used the you used the mark of the covenant as a means of murder, right? And so mm. they are disinherited, right? And so Judah, who's the third born, becomes the rightful heir of the patriarchy. Um now the Judah's Judah's heir is um it gets complicated, but this is the this is the way God. This is what I mean by Gnostic understanding of history. We reject all this as important, and um, because we don't under and because we don't understand how this is so important to the gospel. Judah's rightful heir is um, uh, you, you've got Perez. Uh, um, oh, I got I got to look it up. I should just know this. I apologize. We all should just know this. Um, uh, Perez, uh, Perez, and Zara. Now, if if you remember how this works, is you've got um, Judah, uh, his firstborn son, um, marries, and he marries. Uh, he he marries the. Oh, I apologize. Why? I can't remember Zara and Perez's, um, mother. Um, so his first, his firstborn is Ur. his secondborn is Onan and, um,
0: Judas Ur.
1: Judas Judas firstborn, Judas firstborn is Ur, and he marries, um, he marries a a woman what whose name is escaping me right now, and she, uh, and then Ur dies because he displeases the Lord, and so God gives Onan his secondborn to go marry her and and raise up a seed because God had promised her um, the that that she would be the descendant or the the ancestor of the messiah that the prince the next prince would be born from her and so onan goes in goes into her but then pulls out and spills his seed right which is why so and god kills him and people are like man that's really harsh well except for the fact that he's trying to steal his dead brother uh, because his dead brother was supposed to have an heir that would be the heir of Judah. Judah is not just, he, he's the prince of the tribe of Judah, but he's also the rightful heir of all of Israel. And so Onan tries to steal that for his son from his nephew and he pulls out and so, and spills his seed. God kills him. The next oldest brother was too young. That's right. And so Tamar, that's her Tamar, name, Tamar, 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 that's right. says says to goes to Judah and says, "Okay, Onan's dead now too. What are we going to do?" And he says, "Well, when my next son gets old enough, he, uh, he'll raise up a child for you, and he'll be the rightful heir." He doesn't. And so he marries him often, and, and she is now um, left childless, even though God had promised her that she would be the mother of the next prince. So she dresses up as a Canaanite prostitute. Judah stops in to see her leaves with her a goat. And the, the staff that, that is his rulership is the symbol of his rulership. And then she goes away, comes back pregnant. She's got two kids, Perez and Zara Um, by Judah now, she's pregnant with twins. And he says, who, who got you pregnant? This is, uh, uh," and she says, the man who has this, right? And pulls out the staff. And he says, uh, you're more righteous than I am in this situation. I didn't do what I should have. Um, God has now raised up the next heir to the tribe of Judah, who is also the heir to the, to the rulership of all of Israel. And Perez, uh, Perez and Zara, the f- the firstborn, um, the, so they start wrestling in the womb, and then the firstborn sticks his hand out and has the cord, the 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 cord tied around his wrist, and then he pulls the wrist back in, and the secondborn is born first, and the firstborn is born second, and they look at that and they say that's a that's a sign of something. Right, that's a sign of something to come, and um, it turns out that the firstborn, his, um, he, his son, 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 who is the prince, is the, the rightful heir. Turns out to be Achan, who steals in the midst of the. He steals and tries to to hold back um, something that was supposed to be destroyed, and so God destroys him and his entire family and Jericho, all of his descendants. Right, exactly. Um, was it AI or a Jericho? Is it one of them? Yeah. I, I think it, it was. Might been...
0: I think, uh, you know, I can't remember. Now I got to find out. Go I not remember. Yeah. No, I thought it was go. Jericho. I'm, this
1: is, this is why I should have known what I was going to talk about and thought about this more instead. I'm of talking off the top of my head, but his, his, all of his descendants are all killed. And so they have to go and find the next heir. So they have to go all the way back to the other twin and they, the other twin, who's the rightful heir of the other twin? Because now he is the rightful heir of Judah, right? His he, As the rightful heir of Judah, they find him. His name's Son. Solomon is just about to get married to Rahab, right? So Solomon marries Rahab, who is the one who brings the scarlet cord with her into marriage. Cause she hung the scarlet
0: cord. Wait, Solomon marries city. Rahab. Solomon, not oh, Solomon. Okay. I was about to say time. Solomon, Solomon. Okay. It's All spelled right.
1: like salmon. Spelled, okay. Solomon. Like, yeah. That's what I, okay. Solomon is yeah. how it's pronounced. Yeah. So he marries Rahab. So he's now the rightful heir of Judah suddenly, right? Because he would have been like a fourth or fifth cousin um to to the prince, but suddenly he is the, the, the next rightful heir. He's the husband of Rahab, who was the prostitute, who, if you remember the oldest, the, the, his great, great, great uncle would have been the one that had the scarlet cord tied around his wrist. Well, now his wife is the woman of the scarlet cord, right? So the scarlet cord is actually brought back into his line by Rahab, by his wife, who was faithful and defended and he, she was the one that, that knew what God had promised and trusted it when no one else did. Okay, t- right, so, so she rescues so, the spies.
0: Okay, so just so I remember the so the person with the scarlet cord was akin to Aiken. But his whole family got yeah. killed from that?
1: And then his whole family got killed. I remember and that because so that's Jericho. They, they, have told- to go, they have to go back into the genealogy. And find out who would now is the rightful heir. And it would be like the fourth or fifth cousin then, of the prince.
0: And then so but that's how you get Rahab. And, the,
1: and, and that's how you get Solomon now as the rightful okay. heir. A Solomon, Solomon yeah. marries Rahab, who brings us, who is the woman who hung the Scarlet in the in the window to show that she was covered uh that she was safe when they came in to destroy everything right so now she becomes the the princess I mean, like she, rahab is the princess of the tribe of the queen right rahab becomes the queen of the tribe of judah because really suddenly right because all of the royal family is destroyed and the next heir is is her husband so rahab who's the prostitute is becomes the queen of Judah of the of the tribe of Judah now her great-grandson is david right so she now is the descendant of david david is actually though the eighth born son of judah he's got seven older brothers who all would have been heirs except for the fact they, they they would have been the inheritors of the prince of Judah, except for the fact that they all abdicate in it when so. So after Saul doesn't destroy um, the king, he's supposed to kill the king and he doesn't and. And Samuel shows up and says, what's this bleeding I hear in my ears? It's all of the things you didn't, all of the sheep you didn't destroy. And he says, no, I saved them for the Lord. He said, except for the Lord told you to kill him. Right? So that would have been what loving obedience looks like. Uh, and so uh, uh, Agag is packed to pieces by, by Samuel, and he, and he declares, you are going to lose the kingship to Saul and then he leaves. He never sees Saul again. He basically raised Saul as a father and he never wow. sees Saul again after this point. And he goes off and he and Samuel begins to cry and mourn because he's just lost his son whom he seems to have really loved. And he says uh and God says to him stop mourning, go over to Bethlehem. The son of Jesse is there. He's my chosen next chosen king. He looks through the first seven brothers. He says, it's none of them. Well, our, I've got one more son, but he's out amongst the sheep. He goes and gets him. He brings him in and he says, this is the one. He ordains him and the seven older brothers all abdicate their throne rights to David. So David becomes the legal firstborn, even though he's the eighthborn son. He becomes the legal firstborn of Jesse. So he is the legal heir to the patriarchy, right? To the patriarchate, the the civil rule. He then he's adopted by Samuel, and becomes the rightful heir to the current throne. So, um, as well, and so he brings the throne rights of Abraham together with the throne rights of Saul. Right when when um, Jonathan abdicates to him, and then all. Uh, after after um, Saul and Jonathan are both dead and David is um, recognized publicly for the first time as the prince of Judah, uh, all they, a civil war begins and it doesn't really come to much and eventually all of the tribes send over elders and they acknowledge that David is the rightful king, not just of Judah, but he's the rightful king of all of the tribes, right, and so they they recognize that he's the rightful king. What he then does is go up to Salem and the city of Salem. Salem is not is is one of the few places that is not yet brought under the rule of one of the tribes of Israel. He goes to Salem, and that's where he sends uh, his one of his soldiers through the aqueduct to go up in and unlock the doors from the inside, and they conquer Salem. When he takes Salem, he renames it Jerusalem,
0: so, and he, he, and he, broke he makes up. That his throne. He takes Salem and renames so it Jerusalem. He, he
1: takes Salem, and he renames it Jerusalem, and he makes that throne now the throne of David. Now, that throne is the rightful throne of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. So the one sitting on the throne now is the rightful heir of Melchizedek, a priest after the most high God. When David takes that city and makes that his throne, the throne rights of Melchizedek, the priest king of of the Noahic covenant, and the throne rights of David are joined together. And Psalm 110 is written. You are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So David becomes a priest legally, the legal priest of the Noahic covenant, right? So he's the legal patriarchate. He, he's, he's the legal King. And now he's the legal priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's the pr- legal priest of Noah. So now the firstborn of David um the, well, the first few firstborns of David are all disinherited, and Solomon becomes the legal firstborn, um, and then the firstborn of Solomon, the, down to the firstborn down to the firstborn down to the firstborn, is Joseph, who is who is going to marry Mary, right? And then Mary turns up pregnant out of wedlock, and he, because he's a just man, he doesn't shame her he wants to put her away privately but an angel comes and says no let me tell you a secret he is born of god he is the messiah to come right now the messiah is actually a part of the throne right the messianic promises are a part of the throne rights of david right he has the the messianic promises to abraham he has the messianic promises to noah he has the messianic promises to uh to himself, to the, to the throne of David, all of those are now Lee, the inheritance of Joseph. Joseph says, got it, I will make him my legal firstborn. So Jesus, he becomes the legal firstborn of David, of Noah, of Abraham, right, and all of those messianic promises, and as well as the priesthood and the kingship. Uh, of uh, uh, of all of them are all legally Jesuses. So when they call him Son of David, that's what they mean, right? They mean he's the inheritor of all of these things. So when God says it, when so when when it tells us in um, in Hebrews, it's a greater it, it it's a greater priesthood. It's not just because like well, it's a greater priesthood. In the sense that you know it, it does more things or it's better or something, it's a greater priesthood in that it's older. Abraham, so uh, he, Abraham gave um, his tithe to Melchizedek, and he and he says inside Abraham, in his seed was Levi, the Levitical priesthood, Aaron, the high priest, right? All but they tithed upstream, right? They you you tithe up stream in authority. They tithed to Melchizedek in Abraham's seed, right? They tithed up to Melchizedek. It's legally a greater priesthood. It's an older priesthood. It's a greater priesthood. It's a universal priesthood that that actually is for all of humanity. The Levitical priesthood um, couldn't be universalized because it was for a specific people the melchizedekian priesthood is the universal priesthood of all mankind for all mankind um so G- so jesus's priesthood is greater in a legal sense so when god says it in that he will be the just and the justifier that's what it's talking about he's going to um use the legal system that he establishes the, the throne rights that he establishes that, that none of those things um, are go away. They are all uh, eventually brought together in Jesus. And he becomes the great priest King that can both represent us as a sacrifice because he's a King, right? He can be the sacrifice because he's a King and he can be the priest because he is the legal heir of the Melchizedekian priesthood, right? So,
0: and, and since he is a King, he actually has a civil rule over everything.
1: So and his establishment as the civil ruler of all, um, it is because all of these things, right? He can become the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords legally. It's not just, a fancy talk, right? It's not just—it's oh, not it's, spiritual it's, talk
0: like we like to it's think not it
1: spiritual is. Spiritual talk, right? It's—it's it, it's all he, God deals in legal tender, right? And, and, um, but we have turned the gospel into a um into good news in that you can you can believe something true, or you can believe something, and because you believed it, it became true of you, right? That that we that. Which be which is actually faith in our own faith. Right it's not faith in the historical work of God. The historical work of God on our behalf in Jesus Christ, the rightful heir. And so and then Luke takes it even further. We didn't even get into the fact that Luke draws him all the way back to the legal heir of the Garden of Eden, right? He is the legal heir of Adam. Um we didn't even you know, we haven't even touched that. <laughs> Uh, you, right you so, keep going, <laughs> so I mean uh, that's what and that's what I mean is we're gnostics, we preach the gospel like gnostics, we don't preach the gospel like it's legally binding on the world. the resurrection is legally binding on the world. Uh!
0: death is legally dead mm. Mm. so we preach the gospel
1: like it's therapeutic. <laughs> like you, and that, this is why, this is why you do not get declaration from our pulpits anymore. Cause nobody, nobody, you can't declare you what? De- yeah. What are you, what are we declaring? Right. Right. You're, you're declaring the legal death of death. You're declaring the legal that, that, that the, that the curses are broken.
0: You can't declare anything the legal if you're Gnostic. Dead.
1: The yeah. dragon is slayed. Yeah. You can't, you can't declare anymore if you're Gnostic, right? And you can't, you can't stand up there and say, you, you know, um, you, you have to hedge everything. This is true for you, maybe if you believe, but I don't know if you do or not. So it's true for all those who, Believe it's true for all those who have truly repented, right? No, it's, it's true. Jesus killed death. He killed it. He killed it legally. He he broke the curse, right? And, and we're out there now declaring it. And people are like, you know what? I'd like to live according to. I'd like to live like it's still true, but it's not. You can't. Right? It's not going to work anymore. This is why every attempt to build a, an empire since Jesus fails within a generation. There's not. There's not room for another emperor. We've already got one.
0: The throne has been filled legally. The throne is yeah. You know, this is this is uh, you know, maybe I'm out in line with this, but this is I don't know how you're not post-millennial because it, you, there's no other <laughs> well, eschatology you know, I, that settles I am, it. Yeah. You know I I mean, no, well, I'm not, no, no, I mean right. you are. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm no, just saying I, as right. a person who understands I, the legal under you know, this is this makes more sense when you're talking about that prophets were always bringing a legal um lawsuit against israel right because there, mm-hmm. there actually was we don't think of the world situation and the fall as a as a legal reality that needed to be dealt with in one way or another right this makes this right. changes everything about law too though because now yeah, you have
1: to, we, the word yeah. when i say hey let's talk about your guilt everybody thinks oh the way i feel
0: yeah my emotions yeah my, my emotions, shame right and, and that's there, my, sure. Yeah. It's
1: there, yeah. But that's not – when we talk about your guilt being taken away, you're talking about – like you actually were guilty. Like if – when you were going to stand before the judge, he was going to declare you guilty. Like you actually committed – you actually broke the law, right? That's what guilt means. We've turned guilt into a feeling that that the gospel assuages rather than a legal problem that we have before the the
0: ruler of the universe. (laughs) Or when we deal with the legal problem, the ones who do deal with the legal problem, when they deal with the legal problem, they only deal about it as an individual yep. that has a, uh um, a, a still emotional that needs to be dealt with. And then you're made righteous, but it doesn't right. actually place that person in the real world underneath the world
1: from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light.
0: We think that's poetry and spiritual transfer, language.
1: Yeah. It's a transfer of citizenship.
0: Yeah, we've 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 poetically, you know, it's funny for a group of people that really don't like typological language. We surely use it in all the wrong places.
1: Yeah. We well what happens I mean, we allegorize actually. Allegorize, we, I wish yeah. we type I wish we did some more typology, That's better but al- we we allegorize we allegorize everything. We all- and it's funny because it's the people that say, hey, no allegory here, right? That end up allegorizing because they talk about guilt like it's a feeling, not like it's an objective reality. They talk about um uh, you know curses. if they even talk about curses, they talk about them individually, right? Not as if it's something that is real. Uh, We, we allegorize and spiritualize everything when you, when actually the gospel is an objective legal declaration. Jason Lee, go ahead, leave the kingdom of darkness, join the kingdom of light. And there's a way to do it, right? Come get baptized, believe and be baptized. And then you, we keep, I mean, that. Covenant is kept by faith. So this is not, when we're not talking work salvation, it's still, this is actually what justification by faith alone means, that we've just allegorized justification.
0: So the new kingdom, the new world, the new citizenship is marked by baptism.
1: Yeah, by baptism, it's, it's refreshed by the Lord's Supper. Uh, it's the, the it's kept by faith.
0: But that's a church thing, though. That's just for that's for people who repent right. of sin. That's a church thing. In, and it's,
1: there's a, and there's an objective people. Uh, there's an objective institution that is the place for whom uh, it is all aimed. That's there's a body of Christ that is a real historical institution because we're dealing with real historical.
0: That is going to swallow up the whole world, though. Like that's going to like the whole world is going to be baptized,
1: right? Yeah the every every hill and every every hill is going to become a place w- where pe- people go up to worship, right? Because we worship now not on just w- this mountain, but on every mountain where there's spirit and truth, right? Now we worship in spirit and truth. That so the whole world. I mean, and this this is so he, he, Ephesians six, the beginning of Ephesians six, always every time it busts my brain when I hit it because this you got this little heathen this this little church that's mostly little heathen children, and he takes one of the promises of of God to to Jewish children in the Old Testament, and he says, "Obey your father and mother, and it go well. It will go well with you in the world," right? It's like, welcome to the covenant, children, right? Welcome, welcome to being a little Israelite child, right? You you have been legally brought in, he says to the kids of the church, you've been legally brought in and now those cursings that were legally just applied to the nation of Israel before, they apply to the whole world now, right? Because the king of Israel is now the king of all of it. Right. the king of Israel is the king of all of it so his law is now the law of all now there's some transformation that happens in the in the process of death and resurrection because the law went into the grave and the law came out right there, so so there are parts of it that have that that have been abrogated there's parts of it sure, that, sure. Uh, that are typological Understood. now there are parts of it that apply into the church but not to the civil realm and the civil realm has to learn the wisdom on how it's going to apply just in the same way the patriarch had to learn it
0: as a transition from patriarch to Moses
1: and now the civil magistrate what they're doing is they're supposed to be legally bringing their law system into alignment with the law of the king of kings right so now and if there's an illegal way to do that And there's a legal way to do that. And Mm. so the Chinese government should be legally figuring out how do we legally bring our law system into alignment with the law of the kings of the universe. Right. So that's it. it, um, But the families of the world are supposed to be doing the same. How do I bring my family into line with the rule of the king of the universe, who also happens to be my father? right jesus is now my older brother the king of kings is my older brother right so i'm the younger brother of the king the younger sister of the king right and um and so it's we're also trying to then individually and as families take on the family resemblance of the trinity right because we have been adopted legally into the family, right? In in the baptism, right? We're born again, in and right. And when you're born, you receive a family, right? So there's all of these uh, metaphors function together, but most of the metaphors are legal metaphors, and we want to allegorize and spiritualize them all into something that they're not. <laughs>
0: I don't even know if I should answer the second part of this question. Cause I'm still working through, I think I just had a shift in my head where it's like, we've been talking about Gnosticism and metaphysics for a while now. And still that shift just happened again where I'm like, Ooh, we, yeah.
1: there's because n- you don't come out of Gnosticism in a Gnostic way, right? You come <laughs> You come out of it in a historic way.
0: Well, I think, but this goes back to, you started with Abraham, but, what you worked through was everything that was supposed to be the outworking of Adam and Eve in the garden. So what right. you see in the fruition of what you see come to reality is, uh, Christ, rep- the second Adam, as Paul talks about it, rising to what he was supposed to be, it, what Adam was supposed to be originally in the garden. And so what we have is this, the realities of the garden manifested in a greater way in Christ in in the second Adam. Right. And so, so you get, you get, you get the, if you allegorize Genesis away, which is what we do in so many mm-hmm. ways, you miss out on what Christ has done legally in, in all of this. So, you know, part of what led to this you going down this rabbit trail was that we don't know what the foundations are, and so we don't know what to do when it's time to rebuild. Take all right. of that and bring it down to, you know, make it as easy as coming home from work, engaging with your family. What does that take? All that make it touch down in a real way, because yeah. so, you know,
1: so it, it has to do. You come you come home and so you we we spend our day our days undoing the curse right that's our job now right we go out and we we get a piece of uh, of dirt or a piece of a company or a desk at a company and we say okay how do we roll back how do i use this spot to roll back the curse right and then you go, you head home, and you say, uh, "Okay, how do I roll back the curse here? Because it's no longer binding, mm. right? So the the curse the the curse in the home has to do with uh, rivalry between husband and wife, mm. right? And so you don't you you deal with sin as it comes up, you repent of it, you forgive one another, you don't allow rivalry to set up in the home.
0: Keep small right? accounts, you right? Yeah.
1: Keep short accounts. You you don't you you um uh you and then and then you know your kids you raise them um you, you raise them explaining to them okay your older sibling the oldest sibling in the family is Jesus. Right? This is the family we're part of. And so we 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 want that, to. That's our resemblance. That's a, that's the resemblance that that we're after, right? We want to look like Jesus. We want our family to reflect Jesus. He's our King. He's our older brother. He's our Savior. Um, he's the the head of this of the covenant. He's the head of our people, the church. Um, he's the King of this land, right? So, there's in in all of the different places you might find yourself the resemblance you're after is Jesus imitate Jesus in in all that we do because, because of the relationships we have with him. Right. um, So we don't work to those relationships. We work from those relationships. We don't work to those realities. We work from those realities. They're objectively true. And then we bring ourselves into line with the truth. Right. And that truth is where the freedom is Uh, the truth. That's what, that's the truth that sets us free. Um, And so, uh, the we're we're gardeners that have been given pieces of you know plots of the garden king, the gardener king's property to take care of. Um, and then we're and so we're raising up our kids. So, we, you know, we, we've got really the three spheres of our home, our land, and then the rest of the world. We are our, our home, um is comes to reflect and build up the next generation. Um, The land is where we go out and we get the resources to build that next gen to to build that, that home. And then they fill up their imagination. They landscape their imagination in that home to go out and then take a piece of the world and turn it into a garden and then get some land around it that they use to bring home resources to build up that garden home um, so that more gardeners can go out into the world and, and garden it. Right. So um, it's a, it's a different way of approaching what kind of place we live in.
0: You know, something or, else, um, Jason, that, you, that, as you're talking, I can't, you know, nobody talks about baptism this way either, but this is, this makes more sense of why your kids should be baptized because, yeah, I mean, I, yeah,
1: it's hard to wrap my imagination around not, what what it would take to not baptize. I I mean, I was saved into a paedo Baptist setting. And so I I didn't even know there were Baptists for the first few years. I was a Christian because I just wasn't raised in the church. So you discover Baptists and you think, Oh, well that's weird. And I realize they think that about me, but you know, that's why we have these conversations.
0: (laughs) But I mean, but you have to, you have to think something about the kingdom that isn't a reality in order for you, right, right, you have to, and I'm not trying to be funny, but I think you have to have some sort of Gnostic perspective of the world to be able to say, well, my kids aren't part of this kingdom. And that's just, that would be like saying that you have to remove them from the very nationality of American if you believe that way. Right. Like, so you have to, right. and it has to keep going because if this is a real world with a, with a, a real kingdom that Christ is currently ruling and reigning and this, you know, he's after the order of male kids, all this stuff that you just got done labeling out here, if that's the reality of it and our kids are citizens of that kingdom, like you have to actually make, they can't be citizens of like, it's, it's impossible for them to be given to you and not be citizens. I don't know how you even. Right. Like, that's how citizenship works. works.
1: Right. Right. Yeah. You, you inherit your citizenship. And this is why nationalism in the church has been so difficult to, deal with is because you say deal in with a Baptist culture to deal with. Yeah. Cause in a Baptist culture, your kids are born citizens, but they choose their religion, which means that their citizenship is more fundamental to their identity than their religion. So right? it's uh, yeah, their, the, re- yeah, their religion, their religion is an add on. Right. And so the American church has suffered um because it has not been able to resist the bad parts about nationalism right yeah and I get you know I and this is not I mean I, there's not anything wrong with patriotism there's you know we' no we it's a wonderful blessing to be an American just like you know a blessing to be Chinese or to be it's you know, an add-on we, like you said <laughs> it's earlier right you, it's yeah, a beautiful
0: thing when it's, it's an add-on
1: but it's, it's a, right but it's a curse when it becomes our fundamental identity and I mean we I had a really Um, my church down in Santa Cruz, we shared a building with an assemblies of God church, wonderful pastor, wonderful congregation. We came really close. um, my came really close with his, his family. And we had this funny moment where um, the, we came into the church and, and somebody had put an American flag up on the, and he, and I came in and he's standing there looking at it like, because it was somebody from his church and he was like, I know this isn't okay. But I don't, I don't know how to explain this to my congregation. It's going to be a big problem. I was like, Oh, you don't, don't, you don't have to explain it to your congregation. You're just going to go back to your office. And he was like, okay, I took it and I hid it. Yeah. <laughs> and so then he had no idea what so he could say, I have no idea what happened to it. But he, he and later we were talking and he was like, I, I knew in my gut, you can't put an American flag up with the cross. He said, "I don't have a, th- I don't know why, right?" And so we started talking about the uh, about things, and but but he's a wonderful, faithful guy. He just look, he just looked at it, and he and he was like, "I don't think I could explain to my congregation in a way that doesn't, uh, at this point, what I know in my gut." is that there's there's a problem in putting a flag next to the cross up there like that right there's there's an architectural lie there's an architectural something architecturally that is lying in that setup
0: um, the symbolism is wrong is a problem. the symbolism
1: <laughs> is wrong um, and uh and, and he was willing to i mean he he was willing to give it a shot he was going to remove it and then but he was trying to figure out how am I going to explain it but it was easier for him to be able to say the other church took it down (laughs) and I was, I'm happy to to do
0: that. It's so funny. This is one more episode where I feel like I'm less Gnostic than when we started,
3: which is good. (laughs) And just keep getting it all out. Just keep getting it all out.